Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and future. I'm Dr. Jody, and as an anxiety expert and adult child and adolescent doctor of clinical psychology, I'm on a mission to create a world where every person can manage anxiety and thrive. Over the last 30 years, I've coached global organizations and worked across clinical and educational settings, including Harvard Medical School. In 2015, I founded The Anxiety Clinic with a purpose to help adults, kids and teens to overcome anxiety, stress, behavioral challenges, low mood and burnout and live life with happiness and well-being. As a keynote speaker and executive coach, I love to help individuals, leaders and teams to master their mindset, enhance well-being and achieve resilient high performance. I also share my knowledge in my best-selling book, The Mind Strength Method, Four Steps to Curb Anxiety, Conquer Worry, and Build Resilience. Join me as I go in session with celebrities, elite athletes, and business leaders to find out how they've leveraged the superpower of anxiety, risen above challenges, and aligned to passion and purpose. So, Steph, it's amazing to connect with you, and I'm so excited to do a deep dive to learn all about you in our podcast, Where To From Here, because you are such a shining light to so many in your community to really embrace authenticity and to share your story to help others. So, welcome to the podcast. Great to connect. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this actually because I feel like it's something I've been on a lot of podcasts before, but I love really deep diving into my experience with anxiety and all the things. So I'm really excited to be here. So thanks for having me. About anxiety, what is your experience with anxiety in terms of your personal story? I have had anxiety ever since I can remember. One memory that comes up for me is I was in kindergarten. I didn't realize at the time, but I was having an anxiety attack. And it was because I was worried about going to year six. (laughs) So I was already anticipating all the things in the future that I have to do. And my mom, luckily, so the women in my family, they all have anxiety as well. So in a way, not good for them, but for me as a child who didn't know what was going on internally, it was so helpful for them to be like, I think I know what this is. So from there, she took me to a doctor and I was diagnosed with anxiety and also ADD, which was quite rare back then in females. From there, it's been always in my life, always like people who don't have anxiety, especially like my husband. So my husband, Ryan, he's very much cool, calm and collected, hasn't got the busy mind, just gets on with it. So I think for him learning about it, I think it's a big thing because it's something that's hard to explain to other people who don't have it. It's something that's just always there. And for me, also now that I'm a mom, I run different businesses, I'm on socials and all the things. It is hard for when I do get an anxious feeling or thought, I'm like, is this my anxiety or is this like an okay thought to have? So that's kind of like the starting point really. And so many things to pick up on there. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm really excited to sort of go back and hear your story from kindergarten, from that young girl that just wants to make sure everything and everyone is safe and well, thinking into the future, year six, that's a fair way, (laughs) right? And that planning and that preparing and protecting and so much to talk about there. What I'm curious about is you mentioned your husband. We'll go back to your story, but I really would love to know because you mentioned your husband and he doesn't experience the anxiety that you experience. So how does that play out for him in terms of, first of all, his own experiences and also sort of how he supports you through that experience? It was definitely a journey. So Ryan and I, we've been together since all 17. So we were babies when we got together. And I think especially as a teenage boy, when I told him I am having this emotion right now, I'm feeling this way because I have anxiety, it took him a while, many years, even now he's still learning about it. But it's a hard thing. Look, it's a hard thing to have anxiety, but also to be with someone you love who suffers from anxiety because you do feel helpless. It's like, I remember when I gave birth to our children, he's like, I just feel useless. Like I'm just standing here. I don't know what to do to help you. And I feel like 
with that, he just kind of had to learn along the way. So personally, when I'm having a lot of anxiety or I'm having anxiety attack, I need to be left alone. That's just me personally. I need my space. And that's just for me personally. So he knows with time, like, oh, I'm seeing these signals. And that's just because he knows me very well. I'm going to grab the kids and take them out and give her some time. Again, it's hard because I do get a lot of messages in my inbox on Instagram from other women who their partners just don't get it and they think it's not. And it's sad because a lot of partners just don't really empathize Mm. with what it does to us. And I'm very grateful that, you know, Ryan, he's very open. He's like, okay, what can I do to help you? So I guess in terms of him, it's just listening, really listening to what I need in that moment and Mm. taking that on board. Isn't that beautiful? How amazing that he's learned that that listening piece and Mm. not trying to fix it, not jumping into Mm. trying to take it away from you, but rather just being there in that connection Mm. and that open-mindedness to listen, to validate, to support is just magnificent Mm. to hear. What is the experience for you in this moment when the anxiety is coming up, what are some of the triggers for the anxiety for you and how does that play out in your body, in your mind? Yeah, I feel like the biggest trigger for me is, again, I'm a mum of two, I've got a business and I just feel like for me is when I have too many things on at once, which is pretty much every day, but I do tend to really feel that. Like this morning, we're actually moving house this week which is fun. I had a meeting with the team and then obviously got the podcast. And then after this, I got to keep packing. My, For me, my physical symptoms for my anxiety is my chest feels very tight. Mm. feels like my heart's beating out of my chest. And sometimes I do get quite shaky as well. Mm. So that's just how mine plays out. And I feel like, yeah, for me, my biggest trigger with anxiety is when I feel like I'm very stacked. And there's also one other thing I get too. And I don't know if that's, it's probably in relation to, because as I said, I've got ADHD. But another big one is because my mind is quite busy. I'm always got a million different conversations going on in my head. So when my, say, for example, the kids are in the background making lots of noise or the TV's up too loud and then Ryan's trying to talk to me and have a conversation, Mm. that's when I really feel like I'm going to have an anxiety attack. It's just too much happening at once Mm. and I feel very overwhelmed. And those are my main triggers. And Mm. that's kind of how it shows up in my body is definitely through the tightening of the chest, quick breathing. Sometimes I feel a bit dizzy, but that's kind of how it shows up for me. Thank you for sharing that. And yes, this sense of overwhelm certainly is a common experience that so many people are having at the moment. The work that I'm doing, uh, whether it's at the anxiety clinic or in mind strength and coaching, this overwhelm is the word that seems to come up consistently. And there's the overlay of everything that's kind of going on outside of our immediate life. And then in our immediate life, that go, 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 which you described so so beautifully. Are there any particular thoughts that you notice in those situations? Any worry stories that play out for you? I get a lot of anticipating what's going to happen. I spoke at an event, I think two weeks ago. Obviously, I'm anxious. People get nervous and it's a human emotion. It's fine to be nervous about speaking in front of a room full of people. Then I would start to get a lot of very amplified thoughts of things like, what was if I pass out in front of everybody? What was if I forget what to say? Those Mm. types of thoughts, they get quite large. And it's the same too. I feel like a lot of mothers would understand this. You go to the playground with your children, they're playing and you're like, oh, what if this happens? What if this happens? So for me, it's a lot of what if. A hundred percent. The what ifs, the dreaded what ifs. And it's like a big bully. Do the what ifs ever say, what if everything turns out brilliant? (laughs) (laughs) I wish, I wish. I wish, I wish. Absolutely. And it's the uncertainty. And the thing that you're describing in a moving house is actually really up there on our stresses. There's a questionnaire, there's a stress level questionnaire and moving house is one of a big anxiety trigger because it's the uncertainty and the instability that you're taking yourself out of your comfort zone and into a whole new space. If we think about the physiological reaction to those thoughts, it's the body just setting you up to protect, to self-protect, you know, that fight or flight reaction. I call them sensations. I don't even call them symptoms because this Mm. is so core to how we are as human beings. You are the protector. You are the tribal warrior, right? (laughs) The one who wants to look after everybody else. Yeah. Would you describe yourself in that light? Absolutely. And I think obviously being a mother and yeah, wanting to protect those around us, 
when you are feeling, I guess, out of control, because for me, and I feel like a lot of people with anxiety, we need to feel in control of Mm -hmm. everything. And then as soon as you become a mother, you're not in the driver's seat anymore of your own life. Like they are going to dictate your day. They're going to tell you what's happening. And that was a huge thing for me when I had children. I had postnatal depression and amplified anxiety with that because it was just, I felt so out of control. And yeah, being that protector to your family and especially in times of like moving house, I don't know how the kids are going to go in the next place. Are they going to feel safe? Are they going to feel secure? And then you're anxious about not only how you're feeling, you're anxious about like how they're going to feel as well. Yes. And as you said, it's the anticipation that's the worst bit. It's the anticipation that is the ultimate anxiety trigger. And then when you get into the actual, you allow yourself to learn that, hey, everything's okay. Or even if it doesn't go according to plan, you have tools, you can problem solve and action around that. Parenting and having kids, we have to learn to let go of control. (laughs) Not easy. No, not at all. What have you found then in terms of starting to sit with the discomfort of uncertainty as a mum and as a supporter of mums, what are the tools that you embrace to recognize the chaos that can happen and to stop it from tipping into anxiety that tips into overwhelm? What are some strategies that you engage in? I'm big on routine. I have to feel in control. So I'm like, if I can have a bit of a routine, I feel okay. So for me, I know I can turn up as my best self and the best mother if I make sure that I am having time to myself every single day. So a big one for me is my morning routine. I guess, you know, when they're babies, you're waking up to them crying. You're waking up straight away to someone else's needs before you can even set yourself up for the day. And that really triggered my anxiety for a long time. So, and look, everyone's different. I'm not saying everyone needs to have this morning routine. Everyone needs to get up early. But for me personally, if I'm able to get up even an hour before everybody else to just set myself up for the day, a big one for me is yeah, having that time solo. As mothers in the everyday world, we're, we're always needed. We're always online. We're always contactable. So if you can just have that time to yourself in the morning, it's so, so important. And in that time, I do a couple of things. So the first one is I do some meditation because I feel like for me with the anxious mind, I don't know if this is a lot of people get this, but as soon as I wake up, I feel anxious about the day ahead. I'm like, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do this. So to kind of break myself out of that thought pattern, I sit down, even if it's for 10 minutes, I sometimes I'll even do it in bed. So then I actually do it. I will do a 10 to 15 minute meditation. I really like to visualize how my day is going to go. I like to close my eyes, sitting down, having a cup of tea, doing my journaling, going into the office, all the things. I like to really visualize exactly how I would like that to go. And that really helps me be intentional about my day ahead. And then the other thing I love to do is actually journal. So again, because I have a very busy mind and I'll do this even some days if I'm very anxious, I'll do this a couple of times a day. Basically what I do is I write down whatever I'm anxious about. Because I feel like when it's in your head, it feels so much bigger than what it actually is. So when you can physically write it out onto paper, you're like, oh, it's not that bad. It's not as bad as I thought it was. Because I feel like a lot of our anxiety also is keeping everything inside. It's keeping everything in our mind. So if we can release that through journaling and writing it down, not only you can have that reflection, but you can also kind of talk yourself out of it. So one thing I like to do once I've written what I'm anxious about, I write about why shouldn't I be anxious about this? So I'm anxious about a meeting I've got coming up. And then I'll say, okay, why am I anxious about this? So it could be, oh, I'm worried because I might forget what to say. I might not have done all the tasks I need to do for it. And then I write down, okay, why shouldn't I be anxious? And I'll say, you know, because my team is very supportive. I love what I do. It always turns out fine. And I think the biggest thing when you have anxiety is remembering you've survived all your hardest days so far. You can get through today as well. So they're my biggest ones. So beautiful. And everything that you're talking to has got so much science to support it. And that's fantastic. Mm. You know, the power of getting things out of your mind and journaling, it stops that snowball that worry can typically do. It's really a fabulous strategy and one of many, many strategies that we can engage in that is scientifically supported. So amazing. And what I love about what you're describing is the power of that morning routine. 
Science supports that anxiety is actually our cortisol levels actually have a spike when we Mm. wake up. So this is when mornings can be really tricky and it's kind of you wake up and like, boom, the anxiety, (laughs) like a ton of bricks. Yeah. We all experience this to some degree, mild, moderate, severe. So in essence, the strategies that you're describing are strategies that, that can work for everybody. So it's really, really wonderful. And what I love about what you've said is you're building certainty into the uncertainty. So our primary anxiety trigger is uncertainty. What is going to happen today? And also that negativity bias that we talked about earlier, our brain goes to the negatives. So by you having this beautiful morning routine, it's saying, right, this is the elements that you can build control and build certainty and Mm. a sense of empowerment in your morning. And not to mention the things that you've described to stimulate dopamine and serotonin and all of those beautiful positive neurochemicals. Power to you. Thank you. Thank you. Leading by example. Is it easy? No. No. No, absolutely not. So (laughs) so bloody hard. And look, and there's there's lots of like this morning. Again, I'm in the middle of moving house, so I'm gonna cut myself some slack. I didn't get to sit down and meditate. I haven't had time, but you notice so, so much. And another thing I do that's so important to me and something that's become part of my life over the last decade is exercising every day, whether that's going for a walk. I just feel like we get so much of that stagnant anxious energy in the morning. Like you said, our cortisol is higher. We're feeling all the things. So for me, I need to be able to move that. So whether that's me going to the gym and having that time to myself or going for a walk, exercise has been so, so important to me. And I have noticed that because back in the day when I was early 20s, I really struggled to shop to work. Working for somebody else, I had, I don't know if it was called an authority figure and I always thought I was going to let them down. But I would literally, I remember we lived in our first home and we were in our early 20s and I worked at Subway and Mm -hmm. I had to get up at I think 4.30 because I would open up the store and I'd bake the bread and all the cookies and stuff. And I remember that because I had a lot of trouble sleeping and I've always had issues with my sleep. Before I would even go to sleep, I was so anticipating me not sleeping. So I was so worried about me not sleeping because I knew I had to get up early and then I knew if I didn't sleep, I would turn up to work tired and then therefore my boss would get angry at me and then I'd get fired. It was like a tumbleweed Mm -hmm. of thoughts just getting bigger and bigger. My anxiety was that bad. I would physically be sick pretty much every night before my shift. And I remember that was probably the biggest exposure Ryan had to how much anxiety can physically affect us because he's seeing me being sick because I'm so anxious. And it was hard for him. There's not much he can do. And I call him my golden retriever husband because he's so relaxed and happy-go-lucky. It's beautiful. Golden retrievers are my favorite dogs. So there you go. Yeah. Yes. And I feel like I honestly would struggle if he also had anxiety because I, he really levels me out and he gives me pep talks all the time. Like even the other week before my event, he goes, Steph, you've done so much harder thing, things than this before. You've been on TV, you've done this. And it is about, you know, for those who don't have a partner mm. who completely understands and that, but it's about, about pep talking yourself, mm-hmm. you know, like, If you don't have a chance to journal on that, I think it's really important to literally speak to yourself and be like, you've got this, you've done this before. Everything always works out as it always has. And if there is a spanner spanner that's thrown into the works, you always work it out in the end. Mm. So I think it's really about being able to like be your own best friend and being your own advocate and trying to soothe yourself as well. 100%. Being our own best friend, being our own good coach, you know, it's actually building awareness around that critical voice that's kicking in and standing up to it. But um, that voice can be very strong. That voice can be very convincing to say we're not good. And if we get, if we approach it with a right hook and say, yes, we are, they'll come back with a a left hook and say, no, you're not. Um, So sometimes it's about getting distance from that voice and saying, notice, hello, I know you, you're that critical voice that bosses me around, but I'm not going to let you get the better of me. What I love about what you're describing, Steph, is if we think about the mind strength method, step one of the mind strength method is awareness, awareness Mm. of your fight or flight driven thoughts, awareness of the feelings, how it comes up in your body. 
and awareness of the behaviors. And what you have through your experience and through therapy, because I see that you sort of talk about the therapy Mm. that you've experienced and that you engage in, you've built this beautiful level of Mm. self-awareness. The worry story is about not being good enough or what if something bad happens, the physiological experience of anxiety. What are some of the behaviors when you're in that anxiety state? So Mm. this is really digging deep on step one because Mm. we want to know what those fight or flight driven behaviors are, the the unhelpful behaviors. Mm. What are some things that play out in terms of the way you behave Mm. when you're in this worry spiral? Yeah, definitely. There's a few different things. So I guess in terms of internally and how I act, I really shut down to everybody. I shut myself off to everybody. I I feel like when I get in such a state and it also turns into, you know, I, depending on, I feel like just before my period too, it does turn into a bit of that depressive feelings as well. Yeah. I really shut down and I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't really want to do anything. It's even hard to get out of bed in the morning, especially when you're a mother and a business owner. And then it turns into, you know, you, you know, bullying yourself, like just get up and just do the things. But when you're in a state and you're in a very anxious state, you're very fragile in that moment. Um, So for me, I think, you know, I can even be snappy towards my husband, even my kids. And then later on, I beat myself up about it. But I'm somebody I do close off to a lot of people and then I guess in terms of external things it's I'm very open about this on my own platforms but I am someone when I'm very anxious and I get into those states I do turn like I used to turn to alcohol quite a lot mm-hmm. and as we know alcohol does not help anxiety does not help depression but it was something also I didn't realize at the time that you know growing up when I was a teenager so like teenager early 20s because I didn't have that awareness, I would just straight away go for like, I'm going to go out and drink. I want to go out and drink. And that was me numbing the anxiety because it was the only thing I felt that would numb it. Absolutely right. And what you're describing is the many faces of anxiety that people don't typically or necessarily recognize. The flight behaviors, you say, you withdraw, you shut down, that's flight, that sort of shutting off from the world, which sometimes is the opposite of our values. It's the opposite of what you actually find fulfilling. Although what I love about what you said is when you have awareness of I'm shutting down, it's also Mm. that reflection on what do I need right now? Mm. And moving, you know, from anxiety to action sometimes can be, I'm moving into self-care. I need space right now. I feel like crap. I just want to shut myself away and self-care as opposed to, I want to shut myself away because I just want to close off from the world and give up or those numbing kind of behaviors. And as you rightly point out, alcohol is one of a representation of flight behaviors because Mm. we want to numb those big emotions. And, you know, one of the most uh, intense representations of numbing big emotions is self-harm. You know, alcohol Mm. may well be self-harm in this context, as opposed to I'm just having a drink because I'm catching up with friends Yeah, and suicide, you know, so all of these as flight representations, but then there's the fight. (laughs) Our body is filled with adrenaline. So it's lashing out short-fused frustration, agitation, aggression, which is so often unrecognized anxiety, whether Mm. you're a a woman or a man or adult Mm. or a child or a teen, some of these faces. Thank you for those shares. So I'm really curious about your story. You know, you've given us tasters of your story. Let's go back there. Let's go to the beautiful young Steph who just wants to be happy and safe and well. So tell me a little bit more about the little one and then the evolution from there. Yeah, definitely. So as I mentioned, I was very anxious about going to year six in kindy because that's how my brain works. And from there, again, I was very lucky that my mum recognized it and she took me and I got diagnosed with anxiety and ADD, which Mm. now is technically ADHD. All through school, I really struggled to socially, especially Mm -hmm. sport. I remember because I was this gangly, awkward little girl, I really struggled to play ball sports and things like that. So I know on sport days in primary school, I would get so worked up and I'd beg my mum to write me a note because I just was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And it's something I would obsess over all week long. 
it was this exactly what my brain would circle around. It is hard when you do suffer from some social anxiety, which I always have. And it's funny because a lot of people don't expect it because, you know, I have my own personal brand. I'm on YouTube. I do events, but I do suffer from social anxiety. And I think it turns up differently for different people. I guess I'm an introverted extrovert or whatever it is. It's when I'm in the right space, I will be extroverted. But then afterwards, I really need to retreat and be with my family and be introverted. Through primary school, I needed extra help. I went to the counsellor. I had therapy through most of it. And I had a few different types of anxiety as well. So my brother, he's got severe autism and Down syndrome. I've always had a lot of health anxiety with that. And I always figure it can happen to our family. It can happen to anyone. So anytime maybe I feel sick or get a cough, I would always think the worst case scenario. And my mother was very much the same. So it was very much a shared kind of view, which didn't help. Then growing up through you know, high school again, I really struggled to hold down jobs. I would struggle to complete assignments and things, especially, you know, speaking in front of other people was mm. quite scary. It just kind of eventuated into my early 20s where, again, I said I would completely numb out by using alcohol. I also found that, again, like I was talking about the jobs, I would kind of self-sabotage because I was like, I just can't do it, I just can't do it. And then I would end up just leaving the job and going to the next one. And it obviously wasn't helpful, but that's just how my brain worked. And again, talking about Ryan, because I met him at such a young age, he really was my saving grace and my voice of reason to have that person who is very level-headed and he can tell me because I'll, I'll still go to Ryan every day and I'll say, is this like a genuine worry or is this me being anxious? And he'll mm-hmm. say, no, like that's fair, Steph, like that, that's very called for. Mm-hmm. Or he'll say, oh, no, honey, like you, that's your anxiety. Like, and then we talk it out, which is the biggest thing. I think when I'm anxious, I need to talk, 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 just to make myself feel a bit better. And then I guess fast forward to having kids. I had the two babies and went through a very, very dark time with my postnatal depression. I think for me, I've always obviously had anxiety, but I feel like when I get depressed, that's very scary to me. And did I don't you know, know at the time that it was postnatal depression? Did you know what was going on as you were going through it? I knew I was predispositioned to getting it. I knew there was a chance because I obviously had anxiety already. Actually, I'm going re- to rewind for a second because there's actually something I missed out because you did mention this before. When I was a teenager, sorry to bounce around. Yeah. When I was a teenager, I, I think I was 16. It was just before I met Ryan. And I remember being, my anxiety was quite bad at that point. And I did go through some periods of self-harm, mm-hmm. which it's, I still can't believe because like, I feel like I'm a different person. But And a lot of people, when they find that out about me, they just can't believe it because they're like, you're so relaxed, so happy, blah, blah, blah. But I feel like when you have anxiety, you're so good at masking it. You're so good at hiding it. Absolutely right. And we call it high-functioning anxiety, but hey, we don't feel like we're high-functioning when we feel internally like hell, right? So, and so self-harm, what, how did that present and what was it serving? What was it, what was the purpose of the self-harm for you? Yeah. And it's kind of hard because like, I know, I feel like it's a lifetime ago and I even think back, I'm like, why would I do that? And for me, I think in my home life, it was very chaotic. You know, my beautiful brother who I wouldn't change for the world, but having a brother with high needs, Down syndrome and disabilities, our household was not peaceful. It wasn't calming. My mum had her own mental health issues. So that was like clashed with me a lot. And I think for me, I just did not feel in control. And I think that was my own thing um, that made me feel in control and was my own, I guess, release in a way back then. A hundred percent. And, you know, what you're describing is when we're kids, when we're little ones and the child stays within us, you know, that's that that child that Mm. just wants to be safe is always there and we can go back and there's trauma therapy and reparenting kind of scientifically supported strategies to really help the child Oftentimes when there's early life experience of chaos going on, Mm. we turn to a deep need for certainty and control. And sometimes Mm. this can play out in obsessive compulsive traits or OCD presentation. 
and other and and anxiety ultimately because it's a discomfort with uncertainty when uncertainty was so terrifying growing up when all you wanted as the child was your environment to be your rock your environment to be your source of stability and safety and consistency and instead of that consistency and stability and control you've you described chaos um mm. so it all makes sense and this is the thing about anxiety anxiety is really as much as it feels horrendous and overwhelming it's actually really logical it plays out in very predictable ways and where there's logic and predictability what i really want and through you steph sharing your story so magnificently is what we can do together is really help so many people who can relate to what you're talking about i want to deliver messages of absolute hopefulness and empowerment mm. because with the right practical tools people don't need to suffer in silence people can embrace strategies to be empowered to move from anxiety to empowered and resilient action and to move into values alignment and your testament to this so power to you you've been through some really tough stuff if you were to identify some of the key strategies you know you've mentioned many already and you've mentioned your magnificent husband Ryan who has been a rock to you and a pillar of validation and strength what else what else were you able to draw on along the way to help equip you with a toolkit to embrace your life mm. and, and flourish and thrive yeah definitely and one of the things i really i always have at handy especially you know when you're getting in a really anxious state is i have this little emergency list and on this list is things that i know that it can be a bit of a circuit breaker to mm. get me out of this anxious state so on my list i've got things like go for a walk go for a sauna read my book because i love reading it's a bit of an escape for me and it's a better escape than using alcohol so finding those better substitutes that are healthier Yes, values aligned, values aligned escapes. Right? Yes, yes. So having, oh, I love reading. I love it. And it's um so having this little emergency list for myself and also, you know, Ryan knowing where that is. So if I'm in such a state where I'm really anxious, it's like, hey hun, why don't you go for a walk or why don't you go up and read your book on the balcony? So things like that, having a like a your own little toolkit that maybe isn't with therapy, it's obviously very important. But if you don't have someone on call, you have your own little toolkit ready to go of the things that make you feel good that aren't self-sabotaging behaviors. That is a huge one. And I feel like the other one is just having that self-trust, being able to be like, for me personally, and I don't know if everyone feels this way, but when I'm feeling anxious, sometimes I can be an asshole to myself, an absolute asshole. I say like, you know, just snap out of it, get over it. But having that self-trust to be like, what you're going through is valid and you've gotten through this so many times before and just being a bit more objective about it. So when I'm triggered, instead of beating myself up over it, I'm like, I try to be a bit more objective and be like, that's interesting. What set me off and mm. what can I do about it? You know, because at the end of the day, like for someone like myself, who's had all these <laughs> different things throughout my life, you know, a very chaotic childhood through self-harming, anxiety, depression, postnatal depression, for me to be able to go from that to now, you know, speaking in front of hundreds of people, mm -hmm. like sharing my life with people, like if I can do it and if I can find the right tools that make me feel better to get me to this point, anyone can, absolutely anyone can do it. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Tell me about therapy how have you found the process of therapy and and recognizing that it's okay to not be okay and it's really important to seek out empowered action and not suffer in silence you know um what has been your relationship with therapy along the way yeah so for me um again it's hard i am someone i struggle to stick to certain things which surprises people but you know when you have things like ADHD, it is hard to do very simple tasks like turn up to appointments. So throughout my life, I've done different things. Obviously, as I mentioned, in primary school, I had I went to counselling. Mm -hmm. And then throughout my teenage years, I went back to a different person. But it was more so just being able to have that objective sounding board. So making me feel validated before I had the self-awareness to validate myself. So now I validate myself because I have that awareness. But growing up and if you're someone who's trying to find ways to deal with your anxiety you might not have that awareness just yet 
you might still be quite negative towards yourself and things like that. So for me, even though right now I haven't been going to therapy for a little while, but mm-hmm. when I when I go through phases of my life where I need it, I know that it's there for me to go to. So and teaching me those techniques like of journaling and doing these morning routines, like that's all from conversations that I've had with my therapist in the past. And I never might I might not have ever thought of that. And it's been life changing. That's amazing. I'm so happy to hear it, you know, because sometimes people can have negative experiences in in therapy and Mm. they sort of adopt this attitude of I'm unhelpable you know it must be me Mm. and and so that that that's that's an awful experience to go through yeah when when you recognize it's not about you it's about the relationship and the power of empowered action to seek out the right person for you the right strategies and whether it's it's a therapist or a coach or whoever it might be somebody who's trained in evidence-based strategies Mm. so there's two elements to that there's the power of the therapeutic relationship and then there's the power of the tools and the the strategies have you found along the way that there have been people you've really resonated with and others that you haven't necessarily resonated with oh definitely I remember I visited one I think in high school and I just did not feel I didn't feel that, not that I expected empathy, but I felt like they just kind of, they didn't understand, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and it could just be because it's my personality. Like I'm sure they are a great therapist and they bonded with other people. But then I found someone, her name is Fiona, and I just call her Fee because that's our relationship now and she actually is local. And she, yeah, she just, we just bonded so well. And it, it's just nice to feel, I think a lot of people get anxious about therapy because I think, you know, like, oh, I don't want to sit down and talk about all the things or like, they're going to think I'm this or that. Like a lot of, they think they're going to be judged basically. Yeah. But when they find the right therapist, you're like, oh, they get me. And when, especially when you can have a therapist that can give you such valuable tools that is for you personally, like you want it to be tailored to your individual case. It's not a cookie cutter thing. Like, yes, there is a lot of strategies that can help everyone. But Mm -hmm. I think especially in the phase of your life, um, it can be different with everything. So for me, I was talking about my postnatal depression, like she was my rock during that along with, uh, along with Ryan and she was also a mother. So that's how we bonded as well because she got me. Whereas maybe if I went to someone who maybe didn't have children or maybe was like a male, you know, I maybe not, I wouldn't have bonded with them as well. I think that that's a beautiful recognition that it is, as I said earlier, the two parts that make therapy so incredibly helpful mm-hmm. is the power of the therapeutic relationship. So really taking time to say, is this person authentic? Is there a, mm-hmm. you know, a heart connection there where there's this genuine connection really in that mm-hmm. relationship? as well as is this person really well trained to know the scientific tools to enable transformation or to facilitate transformation. Um, but really when you do find that right person, it can be mm. life-changing. So everybody seek out the help that you deserve because you're worth it and the right individual, the right tools will make such a wonderful difference in your life. As you can see with the amazing Steph, <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. And do you feel like it's a constant journey? There's this constant path of of continual improvement and growth and yeah? Yeah. I always like to say, I feel like your mental health journey, no matter what you're going through, I feel like it's a lot like fitness. You know, you don't go to the gym and you get fit and you stay that way. Like you have to do it continuously. It's upkeep. It's in your daily routines and habits to continue to manage it and get better at managing it. So I feel like 100%, it's not something where you just set and forget and I'm all good. I'm human. I go through phases where I have a couple of months where I'm not great. Like, so for example, I the last year of my life has actually been the hardest year of my life. I lost my dad and I lost my nan. It was really rough. And my nan was like basically raised me again because I had that chaotic household. So dad looked after Adam. My mum had her own mental health issues and my nan literally lived with us and she raised me. So in the span of 10 months, I basically lost my parents. Oh, wow. I'm so sorry yeah. to hear that. Yeah, That's thank you. Really tough. So my anxiety was as imaginable through the roof. It's something I'd never experienced before and it's just about being human. And no matter what, you can have all the tools in your toolkit, but there is times where you just 
you just got to sit with it and be like, you know what? This sucks. Mm. This really, really sucks. Mm. But I know and I trust that I'm going to be okay. I have lived through my hardest times before. And I will continue to do that. hundred percent. And and it's just so beautiful when you can move into that, you know, treating yourself as you would your own best friend and mm. talking to yourself with kindness and compassion and validation. Self-compassion is such a powerful tool in the toolkit. I do talk to self-compassion all the time. People who experience anxiety, and this is a generalization, but often kind people because it is that sense of empathy. It's that protective instinct at play. And so people who experience anxiety are often really good at extending kindness outwards, but we're not so great at extending kindness inwards. And sometimes we've got to learn that process and build in the pause to say, how am I talking to myself right now? What am I doing right now? And breathing, slowing the breath down and moving into awareness around what can you do to help yourself. It's been a tough year for you, you say, and, you know, clearly some incredibly huge Mm -hmm. life experiences. What, when you were really feeling that despair, Steph, what did you find was the most helpful in those moments? Well, for me, having that compassion for yourself, I've always struggled with that. I have very high expectations of myself. I always have, unfortunately high um, functioning anxiety things, the feels. Obviously, because I run a business, I have a team, I have a lot of responsibilities like all of us do. And when I was in the depths of grief and just absolutely at rock bottom, literally, I really had to learn about the expectations I was putting on myself because, you know, there was weeks where it's only been a couple of weeks and I was getting angry at myself and I was like, you should be getting back to work by now you should be doing this and of course not and for me I had to reframe that and be like if this has happened to my best friend and she just lost her dad Mm. or her man or whatever part I was would I expect them just to suck it up and go back to work of course not absolutely not that's bizarre Mm-hmm. So for me, the first thing was just being really honest about the expectations I had on myself and being like, look, in a year from now, if you don't let yourself just feel this shit, you're not going to get past it. You're yeah. not. You need to let yourself just go through the motions. And the other thing that I found so therapeutic for me was because obviously my mind couldn't stop thinking about it because it was very traumatic, you know, seeing them both pass. For me, I actually shifted to obviously a lot of my reading, but I, for years, I was reading business books and personal development and I kind of was getting over it. So I started reading my fiction books again and I just delved in and that was the biggest coping mechanism for me. And I was actually really proud of myself because again, for someone who's always lent on alcohol, I just went through the most traumatic experience of my life. And instead I was leaning on reading books and I started doing paint by numbers and I was doing like these embroidery kits and I was doing all this craft because mm-hmm. I had to keep myself busy. But I was like, I'm not, I felt like I was so low that I knew if I drank alcohol, there's no way I can feel any worse than I already do. So I just couldn't do it. I just stayed away from alcohol and I had to throw myself into books, craft, and just lowering the expectations of myself. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. So powerful and incredible. You know, sometimes if we talk about the many faces of anxiety and, you know, sometimes the despair as well, but particularly anxiety, the cluster around need for certainty and control, one of the big ticket items there is we jump to perfectionism because perfectionism means if I'm perfect, I'm certain, right? If we're perfect, nothing bad's going to happen, yeah? Yes. Tell me about your relationship with perfectionism. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a therapist question. Tell me about your relationship with perfectionism. I've always been a perfectionist to Mm. a fault. And again, it it has been my own undoing on many occasions. And Double-edged sword, right? (laughs) It is. And it is. And look, sometimes it's great. Because, you know, again, I make my own products and things that did take me a long time and I was super happy with how it turned out. I'm stoked. Obviously, it's got a great base of community. We've got great customers and that's because I was a perfectionist. But I feel like, and I'm only actually learning this over the last couple of years, is because as my business grew, I realized that there's only one of me and I cannot do everything. And I really thought I could for a long time. I'm like, I can't get anyone else to do it because they're not going to do it like me. It has to be perfect. Like, for example, doing customer service, doing our social media, 
all that type of stuff. I was like, no one can do it like me, so I have to keep doing it. And I went to full burnout mm. for like at least a year or more. And then obviously then I lost my dad. So it was just like a double whammy and it really was my undoing. And I got to this point where I was at complete burnout and I realized like I need to get help. I can't do all of it myself. And sometimes done is better than perfect. There's so many times I've held myself back from launching a product or posting something on social media. And I know that it can help so many people. And it's just because I was perfectionist and it wasn't a a million percent. Even in my own, like, you know, I do YouTube videos and I even look back at my first vlog that I had to have it from perfect. I'm like, especially, you know, our human experience, no one's perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so much power in just, you know, if you're really passionate about something, even if it's not perfect, just get it done. Because mm-hmm. even if you help one person, it's either you help one person or no one because you don't share it. You know what I mean? Absolutely right. And the challenge with perfectionism is that our brain is wired to focus in on the things that we feel threatened by. That's our survival mechanism. And if we have a belief that we have to be perfect in order to be good enough, our brain is going to focus in on all of our not good enoughs or our perceived not good enoughs. And this is what drives the imposter syndrome. And because we're constantly focusing on not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. So we never feel good enough. And so we feel like a fraud and it's all really logical and recognizing that belief around or those beliefs around perfectionism and recognizing that it's just our struggle with uncertainty ultimately Mm. allows us to move out of it. And as you rightly point out, moving away from that preoccupation with outcome to a focus on effort and being proud of yourself for the effort that you put in and the heart-driven action that you engage in. Steph, it's so magnificent talking to you. And, you know, you have so many reasons to be as cheesy as it sounds, incredibly proud of yourself because, you know, you're supporting so many people. You're helping such a beautiful community of other heart-driven people who just want to be safe and well and protect their beautiful children. And I'm a mum of three as well. And so I can totally relate to the trials and tribulations of managing a business and managing kids and the challenge of perfectionism and all of the above. So I think we're kind of kindred spirits, actually. Yes, yes, Um, very much. So I'm really curious to know sort of other things in terms of books. You say you love to read. Are there any books Mm -hmm. that you've read that, you know, in the self-help or otherwise, whether it's fact or fiction, any books that you've read that you found particularly helpful for you? There's a book that's probably a bit old now, but it's called Mastering Your Inner Mean Girl. So that was really helpful because my inner mean girl, she's violent. She is intense. So yeah, mine I mean, too. They're beasts, yeah. right? That's Melissa Ambrosini, isn't it? Mastering. Is that Melissa? I think it she might is. be. Yeah, yeah. Go, yeah. Melissa. She's another superhero woman. <laughs> I really love that book because I think until I read that, I didn't realize that I was being a mean girl to myself. And I've actually given my mean girl a name. Her name's Brittany. No offense to the Britneys out there, but I gave her a name, Brittany, because I'm like, Brittany's coming out. That was the one thing I think that really sparked my awareness that I actually was just being really hard on myself. I actually never knew that, you know, what you said before about perfectionism being tied to anxiety. That was something I actually didn't know until you just told me. Like, I never really put those dots together until you just said that. My inner mean girl is definitely a big perfectionist. And that book was very, very helpful. It was great. I love that book too. Go, Melissa. Yes. It's the same one that we're talking about. Yes, uh, it is. Amazing. Yeah. And Brittany, well, Brittany can just sort of, you know, she might be there sitting hit the on road. A, she can hit the road. She's an uninvited guest, but she will come in every now and then. Yeah. But hey, we learn to recognize when Brittany's around and say, G'day, but you're not going to boss me around, right? So, Steph, where to from here? You know, you've done so much already and raising a magnificent family. What are some of the things that you inspire to do? the future i'm on social media and things but i do feel like social media you don't get to really do that real deep connection there it's very quick so i do have something in the works which i'm not sure when you're releasing this podcast i have something in the works that i'm announcing end of the month which is going to allow me to have a deeper connection so i've got a, a bit of a new venture coming up which is very very exciting where i get to have a bit of more of a deeper connection and i guess just continue with my done's better than perfect there's so many resources and things i'd love to share with everybody in terms of you know managing 
their homes, their organization, their own emotions and things like that. So, you know, continue sharing everything that I'm, I'm about, continue creating more products that are going to help people. A couple of years ago, I actually made a morning journal, which is I love so, so much and it's got so much valuable information. So that's where my heart is at, is just making tools and making content that can generally help people and just showing people that it's okay to be human. I even shared a story this morning because I actually had a meeting with a psychiatrist this morning about my ADHD and my anxiety and where we're going to go in terms of looking into more like ways to help my process. I'm really honing in on, I'm in my healing era, especially from the year I've had. I'm very much so learning on how to continue smashing these goals, but also being present because I think that's something, you know, people with anxiety, we struggle to be present because we're in our head. We're always looking for the next thing. So that's kind of on the cards for me is, yeah, obviously hitting my goals, but also being present and also slowing down just to enjoy life. Because one thing I learned from, you know, my dad passing was he was only 68 when he passed last year and he waited till he retired to do the things because, you know, he looked after my brother. He dedicated most of his life to just work in Adam and he didn't get to retire. We need to live now. Like life is happening right now. We need to stop waiting to be have more money or get fitter or get that job. Like you need to be happy now with what you have. So that's my quest. 100%. And I love that quest. And it's quite interesting. My dad passed away when he was 69 and uh, it was also a really cathartic, sort of not cathartic, but pivotal moment in my life trajectory in terms of living in the moment and embracing Mm. life mindfully and values of legacy and impact and seizing the day and doing things that really matter to help people. So Steph, I can relate to so much of what you've shared. Amazing and congratulations. It's been an absolute joy chatting with you today. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and I can't wait to stay connected. Take Thank care. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Where To From Here. If you like what you've heard, be sure to click follow or subscribe for future episodes of Where To From Here via your podcast app. Leaving a review helps others find the podcast. And for more information, head to drjody.com.au or follow our socials at underscore drjody underscore.